I went to the district conference, and they were there on Friday. And I, I, you know, I just, I really did not like the idea of leaving the revival, and secondly, of leaving and leaving the evangelists behind. But it, it's just something I, I didn't feel I had a choice in, and I was not going to invite Brother Hollis to go up Thursday night because we were in revival, and it's not that he needs to earn his money here, you know, <laughs> because he does that plus, I'll tell you. But he's such an outstanding man of God, and I know that many people would be very, very disappointed not to hear him preach. I don't know that we've ever had an evangelist to come our way in which I've enjoyed his ministry more than Brother Hollis. Brother Hollis feeds me when he preaches to me. And I love and appreciate the Hollises, and we want him to come. God bless Brother and Sister Hollis. Turn to somebody and say, I'm glad you're here. I did not get the opportunity to tell Brother Grant what this church did on Thursday night as far as the warfare praying. We probably ended up taking about 15 minutes of the service just in warfare prayer for all of the ministers of the state. When I went in I uh, Friday night, a minister came up to me and said, Man, you should have been here last night. I, I said, And uh, talk about a powerful, uh, he told me, he said that it was just like Rhema. He said it was just, said the word was alive. He said, I, he said, I don't know that I felt so ministered to. And uh, I just smiled. I thought, well, praise God for the Madison Church. And uh, we love this church. Uh, turn to somebody and say, let's get changed today. Not change for the laundry mat. Alright. We're not talking about change for the car wash. We're talking about being changed on the inside. You know, if you'll just allow me to keep you standing for a moment. I heard a man say many years ago, never forgotten it was in a minister's meeting. He said, we, we face great peril when we come to the house of the Lord. We hear the Word of God and we allow it to stir us. But we don't allow it to change us. Because then we're not doers of the Word, we're hearers only talked about um, when a person comes and they feel the anointing rolling over them and they feel that tugging on their heart. Many of us throughout years of coming and going to the house of the Lord become very accustomed 
to the Word of God tugging on our heart and that whisper of the Holy Ghost trying to draw us deeper and nearer. And and when we feel that tug, many times we condition ourselves to say, I'm still okay. I feel the presence of God. God's still with me. God's still uh, talking to my heart. I, I and 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 when that tug comes, we we say, "Okay, I can release the sorrow and the conviction that I feel over not being a one thousand percent Christian." Is this okay? Now, now, let me just say something right up front. I'm talking as much to me as I am to anybody else in the building. Because I know that I fall short of the mark. I'm not where I want to be in God. But Brother Hollis, you've given your life to full-time ministry. That's right, but I'm not where I want to be in God. I'm not as dedicated as I could be. Sometimes I feel like Peter when he told the Lord, I'll never deny you. And then many, many times I've told my, my Lord and my Savior, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend a great deal of time in prayer this week. Only to, at the end of the week, turn around and look back. And I didn't spend half the amount of time that I wanted to spend. Anybody ever been there? Could we get a few more people to be a little more honest than that? (laughs) There's something about coming and being stirred that never changed. I find myself looking for services. Those milestone services. Those landmark services where I can say when it's all said and done I'll never be the same. I want this service this morning to be a landmark service for somebody. I want it to be a landmark service for me. When I leave here, I want to have a greater burden than I've ever had. No. I want to have a greater desire to see the person that I walk past in the mall or my co-worker baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost growing in God. We need the help of the Lord. I could come here this morning and get into those Pentecostal postures. I could get real busy with the revival rhetoric. We could have a good time and walk away unchanged. woe to me if I do that this morning I don't want to do it the Bible says and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them that are called according to his purpose that good there is God's good not your good that's God's good when that scripture was mentioned twice during the preliminaries something struck me in my heart I want God's good for my life. I don't want my good. I want God's good for my life. Would you just lift a hand right now? 
Say, God, have your way. With me, God. Soften the clay today, God, as the wheel spins round. Add a little living water, God, and then begin to mold me and make me. In Jesus' name, mold me, make me. God, I don't want to be distracted in this life from what matters. you look at the book of Hebrews the 11th chapter I believe where we talk about the heroes of faith they were people just like you and I they were people that that uh, were frail if you read their life story what 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 thumbnail sketch that the Bible gives us of their life, even in that small window that we can look through and examine their lives, we find a lot of failure. You look at Abraham and how that he went into a strange country and his wife was beautiful and he lied about his wife, said, she's not my wife. And if God hadn't given the king of that country a dream, then then terrible tragedy would have uh, ensued but but God made a way to cover up for that man's weakness that man's frailty but then you look at Hebrews 11 and God speaks so highly of the man Abraham God talks about what a wonderful man he was you know why because he didn't hang on to yesterday he didn't collect regrets he kept looking for a city I may not be the model man of God, but I'm trying to get a hold of the hand of the one that saved me. I'm saying, God, anoint me today. Anoint my tomorrow. God, move in me. God, help me. Let your spirit flow over my life. Help me to reach somebody, God. Are you thankful for what God has done for you in your lives? Do you remember when God saved you? Amazing grace Sweet The sound That saved Her like me I once was lost but now I'm found I was blind but now I
how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. somebody and say I really want to hear from heaven today I am so extremely thankful for this church for the things that you mean to our family Um, so important to a man of God to be able to represent to his children that there's success in the kingdom. We go to a lot of churches and many times the churches are in desperate need of revival. Many times the people are weary and tired and worn broken in great need of help my children they see that and and uh, they they know that the help is greatly needed they see the struggle and the fight that goes on in the pulpit and the fight that goes on in the altar it's just real good sometime to come to fat places in the spirit realm where people are healthy and, and and spirits moving, God is working. They need to see that too. Would you lift a hand again and ask God to have His way, Heavenly Father? We look to you, God. I'm asking you, Lord, to move on my soul today. God, I sense Your anointing. God, put it on me right now. your unction fall, God. I don't want to be a great deceiver, God. I need your help. I need your anointing. Sweet dew of heaven, fall upon my tongue. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to the book of Galatians. The sixth chapter. Galatians, the sixth chapter. We're looking at verse one. Brethren, If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, 
Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. It says, Restore such an one. I want to point out too that it, he's very careful to say, Brethren, the ones that I love, the ones that, that fellowship with me in the spirit realm, the ones that, that pray to the same Father that I pray to. If a man be overtaken in his fault, then he says, he qualifies here, he says, Ye which are spiritual. I'm going to just be real honest with you this morning. I don't have any notes for what I'm about to say. I brought a great big notebook up with me. But the message that I came in with this morning is not the message I'm going to talk on. I'm not really going to preach this morning if you will allow me for the next 30 minutes. If you will allow me. I'm going to talk about uh, the power of restoration. I'm going to talk about being spiritual. Being spiritual. Not religious, but spiritual. Heavenly Father, we look to you one more time. We ask you, God, to anoint, strengthen, touch each and every person. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. If you will allow me to just talk from the bottom of my heart this morning, I'm going to talk about the tug of war that goes on in the heart of Randy Hollis, if you'll just let me. I know that that appears to be very personal, but but maybe in me talking in the in the, the framework of the inner man, the struggle that I face in my heart, maybe you can relate and I'm praying that the Lord will anoint my words and and talk to you a, a great deal about what God's heart is, what God wants, what His desires are. I was driving down the road um, some time back in, in uh, Fond du Lac and uh, I was with Brother Mike Meadows and evangelist by the name of David Lee good friend of mine known him for years we were driving down the road and we were on our way to lunch as we were going down the road there was a lady going by in a wheelchair she was being pushed by another lady and uh, I tried to ignore it I just was sitting in the back seat and uh, Brother David Lee and Mike Meadows were talking, just buzzing down the road. We already had the place picked out. The women were behind us in another car. Let about four or five blocks go by, and I just couldn't take it anymore. And I said, "Brothers, could we could we turn around?" I said, "I saw a lady in a wheelchair just back up the road." I said, "I feel a heaviness," and I said, "Would you just could we take enough time out of our schedule to go pray?" for that woman and so Brother Meadows being 
the man of faith that he is, said, sure, Brother Hollis. And he turned around, and of course the women didn't understand. They were in the car behind us, and they began to follow us. And we began to drive up the road looking for this twisted person in a wheelchair. We finally found the lady, and we got out. We walked up to her and worked our way past the awkwardness and then asked her if we could pray. Told her that we believed in healing. And uh, please don't let me miscommunicate to you this morning. I'm not to tell you. I'm not about to make your faith explode by telling you about a miraculous healing. I'm talking about the deep matters of the heart this morning. I'm not. I don't want a lot of Pentecostal rhetoric this morning. If you'll just let me talk. So we knelt down and and began to lay hands on her legs, ankles down around that area and ask God to strengthen her and one man put his hand on her head and we began to pray and call out power of God began to fall and we began to weep and cry sought the face of God and as we as we began to walk away God began to speak to me brother Grant God began to talk to me he said Randy I want to talk to you about some things he said he said, you go into the malls and you go into uh, different areas. And he said, when you, when you look at people that are twisted and maimed, he says, it breaks your heart. And he said, he said, you, he said, you look upon that. And he said, you, and many times I've gone right up and just said, I know that this sounds strange, but I'd like to pray for you. And he said, he said, I appreciate that. But he said, I want you to start looking upon the heart. See, we look upon the outward appearance, but the Bible says that God looks upon the heart. So I have been trying to consistently pray that God will allow me to feel the brokenness of the world that I live in. That God will allow me to to, uh, uh, find that place of sensitivity to where I don't rest easy at night. And and I find a place of prayer to pray for people that have not found what I have found. You don't have to look far to find brokenness. Received a call this week from my family. My brother probably in the in the pinnacle of of uh, his field, uh, the height of, of executive research field, owns an office in Oklahoma City. A sole owner owns thirty percent of an office in New York City, owns probably that much in Chicago. Probably took in nearly half a million dollars last year. Uh, the pinnacle of a success. Called him the other morning. He couldn't even talk on the phone. He's probably in the midst of a divorce if God doesn't intervene. And he just found out that his oldest son, a very handsome young man, is addicted to drugs. You don't have to look far to find the brokenness in this life. You see, God God wants His people to carry a burden. See, the Bible says, ye which are spiritual. Now, I'm going to lose some of you this morning. And I don't mean this as an insult. I'm going to lose some of you this morning because you're religious and you're not spiritual. Some of you, some of you are not going to have a clue. My tears are going to run down my face. Some of you aren't going to understand. 
because and you're coming and going to the house of God, you become religious and not spiritual. I'm not insulting you. I am trying to stir you. I am trying to shake you. I am trying you to get you to rise up above self and get a hold of a fiery burden from God. Jesus looked over the city. The Bible says He wept. If we ever needed for God to move in and give us a ministry, the necessary prayer for a lost and dying world now is the hour. Somebody you work with is dying and going to a devil's hell. can't reach them. I don't know. Even if, even if I didn't know them, my personality probably would not uh, fit like a piece of, of the puzzle. But God has placed you in their life. And God has placed you there for a reason. A few years back, and I'm sure I've told this story We were leaving this part of the country, as a matter of fact, and going to South Carolina to a minister's conference. We left out of Marshfield. This has been three years ago, I'd imagine. Two years ago, we left out of Marshfield, Wisconsin, after preaching a revival there and headed south and through the mountains, going to South Carolina, going through the mountainous area in Virginia. My truck broke down in the middle of the night on the mountainside I, my truck slowed down to 5 or 6 miles an hour and was backfiring through the carburetor and I couldn't go anywhere and when I say we were in the mountains we're not talking about a lighted area we're talking about pitch black just couldn't see anything big old trailer 35 foot trailer and then that long truck just a mess we finally got the rig turned around on a mountain pass and, and right on a dangerous curve we had to run up and stand and look over the curve around the curve try to keep somebody from coming around the hill down the hill to hit us got it turned around and headed back toward a little town got there and began to call around and I finally called the district one of the district officials and I said do you have any churches in the area where that have a parking lot big enough for me to park my rig and they said you know there's a brand new home missions church starting right there just not far from you and uh, here's the number and it wasn't even in the manual and I called a lady answered the phone and I said, My name is Randy Hollis. I'm an evangelist. I'm coming out of Wisconsin. I'm headed to a minister's conference. And I said, My truck's broken down and I've got to, it's only, gonna, it's only going about five miles now. I've got to get my truck unhooked so that I can drive it to a, a, a dealership to get it fixed. I said, Is there any way you could let me use your parking lot? I understand you've got a parking lot you can let me park in. And uh, I said, Don't worry. I'm not a serial killer or anything like that. I'm just a, an evangelist. So the lady on the other end said, well, I'm not the pastor's wife, as you suppose. She said, I'm the daughter. She was 18 years old. And, and she said, um, she said, let me call my parents because they were at the conference I was going to. And she called them. And then she called back and said, yes, Brother Hollis, I'll come down and you can follow me to the church. So I did. When we got there and I was setting up, this young lady, she said, um, as I was trying to get my wheels level and everything, she walked up behind me and she said, you know, I'm a miracle 
And I said, you are? And she said, yes, I'm a miracle. She said, she slid her foot in under, in, into my view and uh, I could see scars on her ankles. And she said, that's where the motor was sitting on my leg. And immediately when she slid her foot in front of me, the thought came to me very clearly, the word suicide. And I brushed it off because I didn't know this family, didn't know them at all. I brushed it off and and kept trying to work and, and, and she slid a couple of pictures down around in front of me and showed me the car and how the front end was completely caved in. And I finally turned around and said, how did this happen? And she said, well, I lost control of a car and went head on into a bridge embankment. And, and I said, oh. And uh, so I just kept ignoring what I was feeling on the inside. And finally, in a very soft voice behind me, she said in the middle of the night, wind howling, very cold out. She said, you know, I've got suicidal tendencies. And when she said that, a feeling came over me and I turned and I said to her, I said, could you excuse me a moment? And I, and I said, where is the restroom in the church? And she told me and I, the door was unlocked. I ran in. And I got in there and I closed the door. And I said, God, if you brought me here for a reason, if you're trying to talk to me about this girl, then tell me what it is so I can tell her. And as clearly as I've ever heard the Lord speak to me in all my life, the Lord said, go back out there and tell her not to marry Michael. And then in two years, she'll meet Daniel. So I walked back out there scared to death because I didn't know her, didn't even know her name. And and we started making small talk and I found out that the reason that she told me, she said, I was crying the day that I was driving down the road, I was crying, and I, while I was crying, I got to crying so hard I lost control of the car. I said, why were you crying? She said, well, I've been dating a boy in the church, and he went out and did some things wrong, and uh, we'd gotten to a fight, and he'd gone out and stayed all night with a bunch of friends and some other things involved, and, and, and she said, uh, she, and she didn't give me his name, and I said, can I stop you? And she said, and I said, uh, can I ask you a question? She said, yes, and I said, do you know anybody by the name of Michael? And when I said that, she started backing away and her eyes got real big. And she said, the boy I'm telling you about, the one I've been dating, the one that I'm engaged to, his name's Michael. I said, well, young lady, I said, let me tell you something. I said, God didn't call this little preacher here to preach your church a revival. God didn't call this preacher here to fellowship with your mom and dad. God called this preacher, called him off the highway and brought him down here to this little town in the middle of the mountains in the middle of the night to talk to you because he loves you and he wants to see you saved and he wants to see you living a good life. He said, God told me to tell you not to marry Michael and he told me that in just a short time you're going to meet someone by the name of Daniel. We got our vehicle fixed the next morning and drove away knowing that God had put a pause in my schedule for a reason. Now why did you tell that, Brother Hollis? I, I didn't tell you that so you would think I'm spiritual. I told you that so that you would understand that God will go great lengths to talk to somebody that's broken hearted. God will do anything to help someone 
that is ready to turn their life over to Him and change. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And God help the people that He's trying to use that, that's not hearing Him. I don't mean to sound ugly, but, but let me say it again. God help the one that God is tugging and saying, You know the truth. You've got the message. I've blessed you. You've been buried in my name. You've been filled with my spirit. Don't heap it on yourself any longer. There's someone on your job. There's someone here. There's someone. There's someone I want you to talk to. Turn to somebody and say, God uses people. God uses us. You see me standing before you 17 years after the fact. You see me standing before you with a suit on, with a preacher haircut and a preacher hairdo. That evangelist look, enough hairspray on that if I were to fall over, my hair would break. See, 17 years ago, I was working in a nightclub, north side of Oklahoma City, a two-block area called Sin City. Had prostitutes come in every night around 11 o'clock when the strip bars would close, the, the X-rated strip places. The, when the bars would close down, the prostitutes would come in and... Uh, hang out at my place and we'd all drink until we just couldn't see straight. I was doing drugs, smoking pot, wiped out. Many times they had to help me to my car. One night they helped me to my car and I was so messed up I started my car and drove right over the curb and over the sidewalk and went right through the meat market. Ended up in the freezer section. Picked up a couple of steaks and drove out. No, how did it? No, I left the steak section alone. I just, I mean, I tore the whole front end of the store out with my car, backed out, and went home. Never did get caught. I'm not going to go into the lengthy story about that. I did turn myself in my third year of Bible college. Tried to make it right with them. But the point I want to make is my life was a mess. I had, I had come from a family that my mother and father had backslidden when I was a little boy and fallen away from the church. And, and if, you'll, if you'll let me say something in kindness and in love, and, and I hope you don't think, oh, oh, Brother Hollis has got an attitude. I don't. But my family backslid and the church let it happen. I know that people, I know that people have their own wills. But God help us that we want to minister only in the realm of convenience. We want them to come in and get saved as long as we don't have to work with them too much. We, we, we want them to come in and, and, and uh, 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 
make good saints and we want it to be a microwave ministry just push the button and a few seconds later out pops a saint all cleaned and pretty it doesn't work that way when I came into the church I'll never forget I came in in 1979 let me back up and tell you what happened I was working in the club one night we had a silver ball about where that fan is turning there was a silver ball and the little mirrors on it all over we had several lights and, and I had a turntable here and a turntable here and a microphone and drinks all out in front of me and, and the dance floor in front of me and the ball was turning and the lights were flashing. So I looked across this nightclub, standing room only, I saw a lady walking from table to table. And as she would leave one table, everybody would look back at her and go... One of the waitresses came by to drop a drink off in front of me and... And when she did, I said, excuse me, but who's the lady going from table to table out there? I can see her out in the dark. Well, said, that's some lady. And, and she's, she's involved in a fundraiser at her church, and she's selling stuff from table to table. Now, before I get myself in trouble, I'm not saying that you should start going to the bars to raise money for the church. But let me tell you what happened. As she began to walk from table to table, I noticed a difference in her. And and, and she just stood out, not just because of what she was doing, but there was kind of a glow on her. And and I watched her as everybody laughed as she went from table to table. They just laughed or followed. And it didn't seem to bother her. And she finally made her way out the door. And it was a bitter cold night in Oklahoma, about 10 degrees, and the wind was blowing 30, 40 miles an hour. And... And when I saw her go out the door, I put on a long play record and, and, and uh, as soon as the music started and I made sure everybody was on the dance floor, I slipped off the side and I went over to the door and, and I was going to peek out the door and as I peeked out the door, she was standing right at the mouth of the door, leaning up against the wall. She had her coat wrapped around her. She had one of those scarves around her face and she was standing there shivering and the cold would just cut you in half down there it's a real wet cold and and the wind was blowing so hard and as she would breathe i'd see the frost coming and and when i stepped out the door she was right here as i pushed the door open she was right there and i knew she saw me and and i thought well it would be kind of rude it look if i don't go on out and go to my car and i just close the door again it's going to look stupid and i don't know why i said it brother grant but i as i had the door open i said you know lady I said, I don't know whether this makes any difference to you or, at all or not, but, but I'd much rather be out here in the cold with you than in there in the warmth with them. God heard me that night. God heard me that night. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know why He chose to hear my words that night, but... He heard me and He began to deal with me, Brother Grant. The God that, I, that my family had walked away from so many years before. I'm going to tell you something. Blow some of you away. He moved right into that nightclub. I'd go to work and I'd find the Holy Ghost there. God began to deal with me as I'd stand on that platform and spin the records and, and talk to the people over the microphone. God was dealing with me. People in that club began to come up to me and God began to show me how miserable they were. All the wait staff began to come up to me and it was, it was a non-stop party. We were a party house. 
people started coming up to me. Wait, waitresses came up to me. Beautiful women came up to me and, and said, you know, Randy, if you just let me talk to you, I'm miserable. I hate my lifestyle. Can't stand this anymore. I just don't want to live this way anymore. I don't know what to do. And I, I kept thinking, well, I wish these people would get away from me. You know, I don't know why all these miserable people are looking for me. God was trying to show me something. I'd look out across the dance floor and I'd see people uh, dancing. And I, up until that point, I had seen them dancing to have a good time. I saw them dancing then just to keep themselves busy and not think about what they were going through in life. I saw people out there drinking. I used to think they were just drinking for uh, luxury and entertainment. But all of a sudden, I saw them drinking to drown their sorrows. A very good friend of mine that sat at the bar all of the time, drove a Corvette, had lots of money, thought he was a very happy man, had life in control. Went home one night after the club. One of the waitresses called me just screaming. She told me that he had just called her and while she... She was on the phone with him. He put a gun in his mouth and blew his brains out. There are people all around us that are hurting. There are people under the sound of my voice that need to change their lifestyles. And they need to give their lives to God. Right now, while I am talking about a burden that we should have, God is talking to someone about a burden that they are carrying that they can lay on the altar this morning and they can change their lifestyle and live a life that is... I want you to know, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me in all my life. I had people coming to me all the time and saying, you got it made. You're the DJ. You got it made. You're you're the guy that controls the party. You got it made. You get all your drinks free. You got it made. People were giving me drugs free. You got it made. All the girls want to dance with you. You got it made. Blah, 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 blah. I want you to know one thing. I was absolutely miserable. And I wouldn't go back if I could have a club 500 times that size and make 500 times the amount of money. I wouldn't go back for all the world because I found the greatest thing that this world has to offer. I found peace for my soul. I don't know if I'm doing a good enough job, but what I'm trying to tell you this morning is there are people all around you that are hurting. And it hangs on you to realize that you're the only light they'll ever see. If you don't go to them, if you don't tell them, if you don't ask God to make you sensitive, you're never going to know who they are. I want it to be a milestone day for somebody. See, we if we're not careful, we're going to tune people out. I had a man come to me a number of years ago at the Oklahoma General Conference. My dad's been out of church over 30 years. And a man walked up to me I want my family to be saved so bad. I see how the enemy's tearing my family apart. I want my family to be saved. Man came up, older man. He said, Is your last name Hollis? And I said, Yes. He said, Well, you don't know me. He said, But I got a story to tell you. He said, uh, Your daddy, when you were just born, your daddy worked at a machine shop in Electric, Texas. He said, 
It was a candy bar machine in that little machine shop. And he said, you'd go over and put your dime in and pull the slot, pull the knob, and instead of one candy bar coming out, five candy bars would fall out. He said, and all the mechanics there knew it, and he said, they had a little game that, that when a man would, a mechanic would put the dime in and pull the knob, he was allowed to reach in and get one or two candy bars, but then he'd back up and let the rest of the mechanics dive at what was left. But he said, not your daddy. He said, see, your daddy in the shop was known as Joe Christian. Your daddy in the shop at that time, is before my dad backslid, said, your daddy in the shop was known as the Holy Roller. He said, your daddy was a big man. You'd never know it, but look at me, my dad was a big man. And, and he said, your daddy would go up and put the dime in and pull the knob, and he'd reach down and get all five or six candy bars, and he'd walk up to the cashier's counter and say, excuse me, I put a dime in and pulled the knob, and instead of one candy bar came and come out, five or six came out, and here are the rest. He said, and as he'd walk away and go to the cashier window, everybody'd holler, Joe Christian, Holy Roller. And my dad would never say a word, just carry the candy bars to the window and leave them. He said, and then your daddy moved away. He left Texas and moved to Oklahoma. When I walked in the door, was, is this the church where E.W. Hollis went to church? He said, finally I walked into a little Pentecostal church one day. And he said, I asked the question, is this where E.W. Hollis went to church? And they said, oh yes. He said, so I made that my home. And he said, it wasn't long until I was baptized in Jesus' name. Filled with the Holy Ghost. He said, and I've been living for God all these years. And he said, he said, I owe it to a man that wouldn't cheat a candy bar machine. And he let his light shine. I'm just, why did I tell that? Because they see something in you. Let me say it again. They see something. I, I've gone and worked jobs, part-time jobs. Never told anything, anybody anything about my background. Tried to fit in. Tried to If they all wore blue jeans and, and hard hats on the job, that's what I wore. But you know what? I could be out there working. Some guy walk up around me and swear and turn around and say, Oh, I'm sorry. He didn't apologize to anybody else on the, on the but me he apologized to. And I've stopped him and said, Why would you apologize to me? Well, there's just something different about you. I'd say, Really? What is it? I don't know. I just there's a feeling like you don't you don't cuss. There's just something about you that's different. They feel it. I'm not going to hold you much longer. I was working for a leather goods store over in the Twin Cities when I was going to Bible college. It was drama time. That every year we wrote dramas at the end of the school year, and we did major plays, major productions, big productions. Cast of my, the cast of the play that I was in was about 120 this year, and, and uh, I was asking everybody on my job that had a car. I said, I went around to them on my job, and I said, "Would you like to come to a drama? It's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun." There was one girl that had, her mother had signed something to allow her to go to work early. She was 14 or 15 years old. We were at the very front of the store, and here's the mall entrance, and people are walking past, and I'm asking all these people if they want to go. And I was the floor sales manager, and I'm asking all these people that had cars if they wanted to go, and I turned around, and there was this young girl standing behind me, and I caught something in her eye when I turned around. I saw 
a sense of desire. She wanted me to ask her. And, and when I caught it, it kind of shocked me because I totally overlooked her because she didn't have a car. She was too young to drive. And I turned around and I said, would you like to come to the dramas and, and see uh, this uh, drama that we've made? And when I said that, that girl right in front of all the customers and right, in front, right at the front entrance of the store, that girl doubled over and she said, oh. If you have only known how long I've waited for you to ask me to go to your church. Tears welled up in my eyes. and My lips began to quiver. I didn't know what to say. I finally broke the silence by saying, You don't have to wait till the drama. I'll come get you Sunday morning. You can come to church with me Sunday morning. I went by that little girl's house and picked her up brought her to church God filled her with the Holy Ghost she was baptized in Jesus name married one of the boys from the college there I'm telling you they want to know I'm going to close this morning with a story about my brother and most of you already know my mother called me on May the first of 1980 my younger brother's name is Robert like this two peas in a pod you ever hear that maybe I'm too far north for that two peas in a pod the shadows (laughs) everywhere I went Robert went everything I did Robert did every job I took Robert took just we were always together it was May the first 1980 and my mother called me late one evening and said, Randy, said, you know, Robert's followed you into the nightclub business and I'm worried about him. You've got out of the club business and you're in Bible school now, but Robert's still working in the clubs. I wish you'd call Robert and talk to him. I was so busy in college and so busy with exams, so busy with the drama coming up. And I said, Mom, I said, I'll be home in 30 days. And when I get home in 30 days, I'll talk to Robert about what I found. I'll take him to lunch. She got quiet on the other end of the phone. She said, Randy, she said, please pick up the phone and call your little brother and talk to him. I said, Mom, I said, please understand, I've got exams, I've got to study, I've got to do all this. I said, I'll take him to lunch when I get home. It's just going to be 30 days. With a great deal of silence, she finally said, Well, all right. You can wait. I hung up the phone, went back to my normal schedule. Four days later, everybody say four. Four days later, seven o'clock in the morning, phone rang in Branding Hall. That's that's the dorm I lived in. I, my my bedroom was right across from the payphone, so I heard it ringing. It kind of woke me up. And one of my roommates, he was already up, so he opened the door and stepped across the hallway and answered the phone. He came back and he pushed the door open and his face looked ashen. And he said, Randy, get up and go to the phone. Almost an order. So I got up and slipped my robe on and stepped across the hall and I answered the phone. It was my older brother, Rick. And I I said, hey, Bubba, what's going on? He said, Randy, are you sitting down? My grandmother had been very sick. 
And I thought, oh no, my grandmother's passed away. And I said, no, I'm not sitting down. He said, well, you better sit down. I said, well, whatever you got to say, I can take it standing up. He said, last night, about midnight, our little brother Robert was shot to death in the parking lot of a nightclub. God had tried to talk to me. He tried to warn me. I didn't listen. So the school took up a $500 offering and I flew home. And I went and stood by my little brother's grave as much as I could, knowing we're never going to be able to be together and do things again. Buddy, not too far from you is hurt. I didn't think I'd ever get over the wound that I'd put on myself. I think I'd ever get over. I, I, I can tell by the tears that I'm not completely over it yet. I want to reach them. I want to tell somebody if there's somebody that goes behind me their life's in danger I want to be the one that says stop wait a minute I feel something here I need to tell you about my God I need to tell you about what I found what I know would you stand with me this morning I want you to lift your hands right now. There's somebody on your job. I can't reach them. There's a family member going through something. There's something about knowing the mind of God. I'm going to ask you right now, as you've got your hands raised, please, everybody in the building, put your hands up. I'm going to ask God to put somebody on your heart. Now, you will probably see their face. If you get a name, that's fine. There's somebody that you know that God's dealing with right now. I'm going to ask you to reach out and say, God, help me with a burden for somebody near me. And when you see their image before you or you have a visual representation of who you're to deal with and who you're to pray for, I want you to go ahead and lower your hands when you... Uh, when God begins to give you somebody and you feel that God has sent you somebody that you know that you can pray for. 
That's good. God's speaking to many hearts here this morning. Now I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. I'm going to ask you to step out. If, if you felt God tugging on your heart this morning, I've seen many of you as I've talked this morning. I've seen you. I've seen that sweet burden come over you. And you're, you're, you're beginning to respond to the calling that God called you to when He saved you. I want you to give in to it this morning. And I want you to come down here and say, God, I've been too busy. I need you to change me. I need you to help me. I'd like for you to ask God to put a new burden on you. And if you're here and you don't know Him, why don't you come and let God fill you with the greatest glory you've ever known. You're here in a church that cares. This is beautiful. Keep coming. Why don't you make as much room as you can? I mean... People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, He's the open door. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. When will we realize that we must give our lives? For people need the Lord, I want you to put a burden on everybody right now in this building. Let it come right now, church. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, He's the open door. People need the Lord. People